Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Huh? How about that? Um, what a great video. We love the, uh, the Tam family. Um, is Randy and Zonat here? Where are they? Oh, they're serving in kids. Oh, man. Go figure. That, that sounds about right. Oh, Megamate! Yes! Yes! Such an awesome family. Uh, we, we really love and value the military and just um, how they sacrifice to keep our country free. So if you are retired or you're active military or you're first responders, please, if you would stand up, I would just love to give you a hand of applause. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I know for us it has been uh, quite a week, and I just have to give a shout out to all of you because it has been amazing um, just feeling your love and all that you've done. Um, Susie wanted to go to the women's um, event, and here the Bassets brought over all the stuff that you guys gave. It was so meaningful, and it was just such a blessing. We had people bring us food and cards, and um, we have been overwhelmed with love. So um, you are a special group of people. And so um, we just really love being a part of what God is doing here. So thank you so much for that. Um, we are um, ready for football. As a matter of fact, my dog got ready as well. This is Remy, our new dog. He's... Uh, He's sporting the Broncos, so. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, our dear friends from Colorado are here, Bill and Marilee uh, Moritz. Uh, they, uh, or, they started the Orphanage Thailand uh, ministry that we are a part of, so Bill, I got you. I got you. Go Broncos. <laughs> so uh, today we are going to be talking about uh, what the new covenant looks like in regards to relationship that our Father God wants. How does our Heavenly Father want relationship with us in context of this new covenant? We've been talking about new covenant for a long time. So there's three parts to God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and, Holy, and God the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father? And I know when I say the word Father, for many of us, that conjures up many memories. Um, a lot of our earthly fathers. And so some of us have had really great exceptional fathers, and some not so many. And so it's tempting to distinguish um, or look at our Heavenly Father through the lens of what our earthly fathers taught us about fatherhood. And I think that sells God a little short. I think that's not necessarily the best lens that God wants to expose us when he wants to teach us about himself. So we're going to look at some scriptures on that. But I, I want us to expand what our Heavenly Father has done for us to bring us into a relationship with Himself. Um, I know I had a, a wonderful Father. He spoke life into us. He gave us confidence. He spoke um, just great things into us. Um, for some of you, you know my, my story. I lost my parents. Uh, my father passed away when I was 13 years old. Um, so my biological father passed away, but God brought amazing men to father me. And I love my father. He just celebrated 50 years of marriage, 
and uh, he's in the ministry um, serving with Billy Graham, my brothers in town from Iowa. Shout out to you guys. Um, but fathers are, are wonderful, and I think we all can relate to um, us being a kids and goofing off and the serious side of fathers. Remember that? The, the dad look? Ooh. I know we'd be messing around, and sometimes we wouldn't see his eyes, so he'd give us the snap to get our attention so that he could give us the look, you know? It was, the snap was the appetizer for the look. Oh, shoot. I often heard the snap, honestly, at church. So <laughs> pretty much, if I hear a snap, guys, I got you. I got you, right? <laughs> um, but I feel like God has a serious side as well. I think our culture um, is wonderful, and I love the fact that that we have a culture that celebrates God and his grace and his love and his mercy, and it's wonderful. But also, there is a serious holy side to God, that he is our judge. Um, check out what it looks like in Psalms, verses 11 of chapter 7. It says that God is an honest judge. He is angry with the wicked every day. Think about that. He is angry with the wicked every day. If a person does not repent, God will sharpen his sword and bend hidden string his bow. Now, I've never seen this verse on social media. <laughs> it's not one of the top most shared verses. It doesn't pop up on my, my Bible app as the verse of the day, right? Because God is an honest judge. A dishonest judge is a judge who doesn't see crime, who, who looks the other way and doesn't administer justice. But God is not that type of God. He is angry at the sin and the heartache that we, he sees. And anger is just an emotion, right? In Ephesians, it says for us to not sin, but to be angry. So anger is okay. I think about, you know, children that I see who are getting hurt. It makes me angry, I see the, you know, remembering 9-11, it makes me angry. And so it's okay to be angry. God is angry at sin. And I think that's the big dilemma. The big dilemma that God has is he sees us as sinners, but he also loves us and wants relationship. And God is a holy God, and his anger and justice burns against sin. And he's sworn that sin must be punished. So there must be a satisfactory payment for sin. But God said, if I punish mankind for sin, they're going to die. On the other hand, if I don't punish sin, then my justice will never be satisfied. So we, we know the solution, that Christ came to the world because God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 John 4.10 the King James Version says that in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. What does the word propitiation mean? Say that with me. Propitiation. Propitiation is a big word. It means satisfaction. It means that the removal of wrath has been done, that we have gained fee favor and that he's appeased. It's, it's like the debt has been removed. So when he sees us, he sees the sacrifice of his son, and it's the propitiation for us to be in right standing with God. 
This, this blows my mind because I think in our culture and in our, in our world mindset, it's difficult to see sin and not remember it, to be sinned against and not remember it. But in Hebrews, it says that I will never again remember the sins and the lawless deeds. And when sin has been forgiven, there's no need for any other sacrifice. You see, this verse is mega. When we look at the Old Testament, we see lots of animal sacrifices. We see people, you know, <laughs> it'd be like loading up the minivan and throwing the goat in the back hatch, you know, and, and coming to church and me and Lloyd are in the, you know, out in the parking lot and we're slaughtering animals. I mean, that is a, that is a grotesque, brutal scene. But that's what the Old Testament was like. And that was the Old Covenant. But the thing is, is God has been our propitiation. Christ has been that propitiation to remove the stain of sin. See, in the Old Testament, they did that as a covering to sin. It didn't remove sin, and that's a huge distinction, right? As kids, do you remember when you spilled something on the floor and you couldn't get the spot out, so you went to the bathroom and you grabbed the rug and you put the rug in the living room? It didn't work so well. <laughs> but the propitiation is the removal of the stain, right? I remember, <laughs> I remember a story with my brother. We hated doing dishes, right? So we would take turns. I'd do it one time. He'd do it another time. But there was one time that the sink was especially full. And I probably, you know, dirtied a couple more glasses than I needed to because I knew it was his turn, right? And youth, this is going to shock you. Brace yourself. But I lived all my life without a dishwasher. I had no dishwasher my entire life. It's so brutal. I know. I, I need your prayers. <laughs> I remember a specific conversation where me and my brother, it was about Christmas time, we says, Dad, forget about getting us gifts. We want to team up, and we just, all we want for Christmas is just a dishwasher, Dad. <laughs> just a dishwasher. And they didn't even design kitchen. Our kitchen wasn't even designed to where we could even have a dishwasher. So we'd have to gut the whole kitchen to install the dishwasher. But that's how mad I hated doing dishes. And I, I knew that Bryce's turn was right around the corner, and there was a big load of dishes. And so I came home from school, and I saw him riding a bike. And I'm like, what is going on? I march in the kitchen, and all the dishes are gone. And I'm like, I smell something fishy. This is not right. He can't go play without his dishes, and the dishes are done. And later I found out what happened. He took all the dishes, he found the hiding spot of the oven, and he threw all the dirty dishes into the oven. He clearly did not understand the definition of propitiation, right? But he got out, but he did get the dishes. I think, he got, I think I got an extra rotation where I didn't have to do the dishes. So I was happy to tattle on my brother for that. <laughs> but God is a loving God that literally removes sin. Have you ever thought about why God forgives sin the way he does? Have you ever thought about that? God, why do you forgive sin so well? In Isaiah, I think we find the answer, uh, verse 25, chapter 43, it says, Even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. You see, God blots out our transgressions and remembers them no more because of himself. For myself, for my sake, 
I choose not to remember the guilt of your sin. Think about that. I know sometimes I'm in prayer and I, I get thinking about what I've done and the people I've hurt and I, I just am sorry to the Lord for the mistakes that I've made. And I've been saved and been forgiven. And I wonder if God is like, you know what, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I've chosen to forgive and forget those sins. This is amazing. For his own sake, he does not bring up our old past sins. It's amazing. And so I think that if God has gone through so much to create a new covenant with us so that we can be in fellowship with him, then maybe we need to make a new commitment to not let sin in the past hinder our relationship and our love that God wants to give us. Um, I think there's another illustration of um, the Father God in the context of Old Covenant versus New Covenant, and uh, it's found in Hebrews. So um, there's a lot going on here, but the writers of Hebrews is trying to describe in contrast what it was like in the Old Testament for people to face a holy God, a just God, a judge, an all-powerful being, and what their, what their attitude with Heavenly Father was like, versus now we find in the New Covenant a God who has saved us from our sin and the differences with that. So go with me, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 18. He's saying that we have not come to a physical mountain, and he contrasts what it's like in the Old Testament with Moses and the people of um, the Israelites when they were in Mount Sinai and when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. So here the people have gone through. They're now no longer slaves of Egypt. They've seen God's plagues strike Egypt in a big, big way. It says, you haven't come to a physical mountain, a place of flaming fire, of darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. That was their dispensation. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. That was the picture of Old Testament and how people related to God. But he's saying now in this New Testament, it's different. It says, no, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of a living God. And look at how the people relate to God differently. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. And to countless thousands of angels in joyous gathering, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to Jesus, who mediates the new covenant between God and his people. And the sprinkle the blood which speaks to forgiveness, instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. So Jesus becomes sin in our place. And I think I want to break the, the concept of Heavenly Father because it's such a bigger concept than we can even imagine. Like, I don't understand coming to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Like, I can't even context what that looks like. 
But that's God's heart for us. Let me read you Romans 3.23. It says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Say atonement. Through the shedding of his blood to, receive, to be received by faith. So what does the word atonement mean? It's to be made one with God, to be united with God. It's the process of being united that the obstacles are removed so that we can be united with God. And I, I like to break apart this word to say at one, at one minute. So it's the idea that because of Christ, God desires to be at one with us. Think about that. To be at one with us. So in the Old Testament, people were freaked out about going to God. Like, I don't want to go to God. Moses was in fear and trembling. And then God moves through to the covenant where the cross is, that we have propitiation, that he satisfied his wrath because of what Christ has done on the cross. So now we enter into a new covenant. You follow? So that's the same with us, right? So we are here before Christ. We are the old man. Maybe we are dealing with father hurts. Maybe we're dealing with family identities. We're dealing with guilt and shame, with loneliness, with hurts and heartaches. And we're in, we're, we're lost. But then we find Christ. We understand the message of the cross. We ask for forgiveness. And we invite Jesus to be Lord of our lives, to be our Savior. And then we can now enter into a new place with God. You can kind of see in that graphic, right? Before Christ, the covenant, and now at one with God because of his atonement. And I know you're very impressed with that graphic. And here's the thing. You can be convinced that um, we don't have a big graphics department. We would rather give the money to missions, right? So um, you, uh, you just know that Probably Sean made that. So <laughs> we don't have a graphics department here. But think about what it looks like. Like, do you wake up tomorrow being that, you know what? God and I are at one. He is mine and I am his. We, he wants to be so intimate with me that I have God in me. He's not in the temple in Jerusalem, right? He makes our temple in us, that we, our bodies are the temple of God, that we are holy, that behold, all things are new. That's how much our God wants and craves to be at one with us. That is his love for us, that he wants to be at one with us, that it wasn't us that reached out, but it was his love for us that paid the price for propitiation to satisfy his wrath <laughs> so that we could be at one with us. You see, I, we can look at Mount Sinai. Here's a picture of Mount Sinai. It looks cool. I don't know what St. Cathedral's monastery is, but I want to go check it out. Why not, right? That's Mount Sinai, but I don't have a picture of Mount Zion. I have no idea what the new heavenly Jerusalem looks like. And so it, I need God's help to understand who I am, who he wants me to be at one with God. But he is there, all power, all knowing, 
God's Holy Spirit lives within us. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. He is with us. Even Paul, in, in prayer, he said, you know what? God doesn't want to just be a, a guest where he visits. He doesn't want to be the type of person that we check in with on Sunday morning. He wants to be at one with us. And that's what we get to experience in heaven. That's why I'm so excited about that. But here on earth, he paid a great price so that we could be at one with him. And I want to finish um, by, by reading this letter. I thought it was um, marvelously written. But uh, one of the pastors in Texas, Jimmy Evans, he, he looked at the scriptures and he kind of composed what it would be like if God were to write us a letter. So this isn't you know, exactly word-for-word word Bible, but I think it gives us a context of God's love for us. So I want to read this. It, it takes a couple, two, three minutes, but maybe you want to, maybe you just want to let God speak this. If you want to close your eyes, whatever you want. But here's what the letter says. It says that I realize that you have had a difficult time understanding who I am because of the mistakes of your parents, as well as negative influences the fallen world around you has had. So I want to tell you firsthand who I really am. I wanted to tell you so that you could understand me and relate to me intimately as your father and your best friend. First of all, I'm very compassionate towards you. I don't just see what you're doing. I know why you're doing it, and I know that you can't change without my help. I also see the devil and what he's doing to attack you and to try to defeat you. I see what others have done in your past, and I wish you'd understand that I do not stand back and judge you. I want to be in your life helping you because I love you so much. I also want to let you know that my help is free. You don't have to deserve any of it. My son died on the cross to pay for all your sins so that you can relate to me without any merit or performance. My throne is a throne of grace. All you have to do is believe in my love, ask for my help, and it will be given to you generously in every area. I will never desert you in any circumstance. I will be with you forever and never reject you. I'm a good-natured, and I never change. I'm never in a bad mood and never have a bad day. I'm the most consistent person you will ever know. You can trust me. I will always be good to you. My plans for your life are good, and that will never change. I will never lie to you, deceive you, trick you or break a promise. I will always relate to you based on my truth. When you fail, I will always forgive you and totally remove the sin from your record. My grace is greater than all your sins combined, past, present, and future. My mercy for you is renewed every day. As a father, I have rules in place for your purpose. They are there to protect you and to cause you to grow as a person and as a believer. If you violate my rules, I will deal with you graciously. I will discipline you at times, but always know that it's motivated by my love for you. Never interpret my correction as anger or rejection. I love you too much to allow you to damage yourself and others without attempting to help you get to a better place. I love you more than you can know in this life. My desire is to reveal my love for you personally every day. Child, <laughs> believe these words because they're true. 
Act on them as you pray to me, and believe for me for the grace and mercy you need every day, and I will reveal myself to you. Signed, your loving father. Your loving father wants to be a dad to you, a dad like you've never experienced before. And he sees our hurts and our hangups, and he says, I'm in with you. I want to be at one with you. So as we sing this final song, I just want a second for us to kind of process. And you can have a conversation with God. And maybe you want prayer. Maybe you want to start a relationship with God. Maybe you've fallen away. We, we are here to pray for you. But I just want you to, to talk to God right now and say, Lord, teach me what it's like to be at one with you.